0: From npr i'm sam sanders it's been a minute today on the show jimmy o yang the actor and comedian a lot of you might know him for his work on hbo's silicon valley jimmy plays Jin yang on the show this misfit immigrant programmer besides his work on silicon valley jimmy is out with a new book it's called how to american an immigrant's guide to disappointing your parents The book's all about how Jimmy grew up in America as an immigrant after moving to L.A. from Hong Kong when he was 13. We talk about how Jimmy tried to make it in stand-up comedy, how he worked really, really hard to kind of not choose the path that his immigrant parents wanted for him. And we talk a lot about representation and what it means to be an Asian man on screen today. Fun fact, Jimmy's in a new movie coming out later this year. It's called Crazy Rich Asians, and it's already being called Asian Americans' very own Black Panther. So in this discussion of representation, Jimmy also talks about what it means to play roles with an accent, uh, like he does on Silicon Valley. Here he is playing his character,
1: Jin Yang. I eat a fish. I understand you eat the fish. But when you clean the fish, you can't just leave the fish head and guts and In the sink because the whole house smells like a bait station. So you gotta put it in the trash and then take the trash out. Do you understand?
0: Yes, I eat the fish. So that was a clip of Jimmy with one of his former Silicon Valley co stars, TJ Miller. TJ Miller himself, he has been in the news a bit lately for some very erratic behavior and some allegations of sexual assault. But we're gonna leave that alone and just focus on Jimmy for this conversation. All right, before we get into this chat, a quick warning. If you're listening to this with kids, Jimmy's amazingly fun and captivating personal story does have a bit to do with the world of adult entertainment. So there's that. All right, here's me talking with Jimmy O. Yang in our Culver City studio. I finished your book last night. Um, Thank you so much. You're funny. Thanks. You're funny. So, I was going to, in preparation for this interview, do something, and then I was like, no, it's too weird. <laughs> I was going to go to El Pollo Loco. Oh, man. And get a bunch of the salsas. Dude. And have you tell me which one is your favorite? You
2: know, I, I can tell you each one of the salsas without looking at it. Okay, it's, go. It's a green guacamole one. Okay. That one's by far my favorite. Why? Because it's watery, it's a little.
0: It's. I my, don't believe in watery guacamole, bro.
2: But exactly, but it's a salsa. So it's okay. They don't try to sell you as guacamole. It's all about how you look at it.
0: It's okay. That's a good rule for life, huh? You know? So I bring this up because there's this wonderful story about your grandfather introducing you to America Mm -hmm. through the wonders and joys of El Pollo Loco. Can you tell that story? Because it's so good. The
2: first day me and my father and my whole family came to America, my grandpa has been living here for a few years already. In L.A.? Yeah, in L.A. So he kind of knows his way around. He's like, I'm going to take you guys to my favorite American restaurant. And you came here at 13 from Hong Kong. Exactly. Okay. So grandpa walked us down La Cienega Boulevard. Which is the street you don't walk down. You don't. (laughs) But in Hong Kong or even Shanghai, where my grandpa's from, you walk down everything, right? (laughs) Yeah. So he has kind of no concept of how far to walk. And we ended up walking out 45 minutes of just nothing but strip malls and six lane traffic down the street. Where La on Saniga. La Cienega
0: were you?
2: Um, it was La Cienega by like Olympic.
0: Oh, ugh. that okay.
2: massive intersection. Yeah, why would you do that? It took 45 minutes to walk, like, I don't know, like two miles <laughs> to another massive strip mall with like an LA fitness and everything. And uh-huh. I don't even know what that is. I have no concept of gyms. Yeah. Because I came from Hong Kong, everybody was skinny.
0: And we. Was- <laughs> And we walked our calories off. We didn't have to go to the gym. Or we're outside at the park at 6 in the morning doing stretches. Is that happening over there? That happens everywhere. Okay. What are they doing? Anywhere you go, there's 250 old Asian people at 6
2: a.m. stretching. It's crazy.
0: I don't know how much of this makes the cut, but I love it. So keep going. You're walking down La go Walking
2: down La Cienega after 45 minutes in this massive strip mall. My grandpa like, this is my favorite restaurant in America it's authentic Mexican food, <laughs> and you cannot find this in China. And I looked up,
0: and it said El Pollo Loco. And we should point out, mm-hmm. it is a, a downscale fast food Mexican drive-thru chain. Yeah. So
2: you go in there. Yeah. What is it like for you? The, the cash register person was asking my grandpa, do you want dark meat or white meat? <laughs> and then my grandpa had to explain to us, you always order the dark meat. That's the good part of chicken, the wings, the thighs, agree, thighs agree. the legs. I, I can't
0: with the with the dry breast. Yeah,
2: and he said the white meat is rough. That's <laughs> for like, you know, dumb American people.
0: And I'm like, okay. So you didn't have the chance to choose what part of the chicken you got.
2: back. I didn't home. have to choose. Okay. Uh, and, and really, um, even in Hong Kong, we ordered like the Hainanese chicken and all that. Uh-huh. And my dad always either got the back or like the leg. Nobody ever gets the breast, okay? So I already kind of know that the breast ain't the business. (laughs) And then it's just all these little customs that I wasn't used to. Like, in Hong Kong, you order whatever soda you want. They get it for you behind the register. Uh Here, you get a soda, you get a water, and you go refill it yourself. And my grandpa whispered to us. He was like, hey, just get the water, okay? Because here, you can just get the water... And then go get soda yourself. Don't wait, ever wait, wait, buy you... the soda because that's how they make their money.
0: You can't do that.
2: Well, Grandpa did it. <laughs> I didn't know you can just turn water into Dr. Pepper in this country. <laughs> and then you walk over to the salsa bar. My grandpa was like, yo, just take take anything you want. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, we don't have to pay for this? He's like, no, no, just take anything you want. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, this country is amazing. <laughs> so that was like my first experience not just with food in America, but with American
0: freedom. (laughs) American freedom, courtesy of El Pollo Loco. Absolutely. So I I love that. Okay, so you have been here now since you were 13. How old are you now? 30. 30. Do you still have that same sense of what read to me in the book as this inherent amazement with all that America is? Has some of that worn off for you?
2: Some of it, of course, with age, it kind of goes away, like the sense of innocence, seeing everything with a new lens. But- now I try to go to other countries with that lens, even going back to Hong Kong. I hmm. went back to Hong Kong for the first time uh-huh. in 17 years, and I was culture-shocked in Hong Kong. Like, You're home. Like I was culture-shocked, yeah. Huh. It's the opposite of what I felt when I came here when I was 13. The streets, I'm not used to the streets being this narrow now. I'm not used to people rubbing my shoulder to shoulder. Uh-huh. I'm not used to walking after a meal to take the subway, uh-huh. you know, and everything. Just the language, and uh, but it, it felt good. It it was a good culture shock because after just a couple days of that initial shock, I found myself being very comfortable Hmm. and at ease. Like the weight of being a minority, just being something different in this country was gone. Hmm. I was just a dude. You're just a dude. I didn't have to be like the Asian dude or like be careful of, oh, let's try to not drive a Honda Accord and go to Dim Sum and play ping pong because that's stereotypical here. Listen, I would live that life. Yeah, That'd but, be a wonderful day for me. Yeah, and, and that life in Hong Kong, you just a normal dude. You just do it. it. It's not a stereotype until you come here, you know? Yeah. So I just felt at ease, man. Yeah. I could have I done whatever I wanted, whatever I liked, and I was just a dude.
0: You know, hearing you talk about that, it makes me think of this movie you're going to be in soon, Crazy Rich Asians, yes. where it seems like you get to just be a dude because the entire cast is Asian absolutely, and the buzz around it is phenomenal already. Describe this film for folks that haven't heard about it yet. So Crazy Rich Asians is based on a book written by
2: Kevin Kwan mm-hmm. called Crazy Rich Asians. It's three books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if this movie does well, maybe there will be a trilogy. Okay. But most importantly, it's the first movie in 25 years, first studio picture in 25 years since Joy Luck Club that features a full Asian cast.
0: It's like Black Panther.
2: Yeah, see, I, <laughs> like I said not- that on Twitter. People got mad at me. Wait, they got... <laughs> I'm like, this is going to be a Black Panther. Obviously, jokingly, because yes. the two movies are nothing alike. It's it not a studio yeah, film. Yeah. But for me, it's like, I hope, basically, with that statement, I'm saying, I hope it's going to be box office success yeah. and the cultural representation that yes. Black Panther is. And then black people tweeting me, they're <laughs> mad. They, they they tell me, shut the F up. And they telling <laughs> me, like... Uh, why is it, like, whenever black people got a little bit of shine, you all got to try to take it for yourself. I'm like, what, what What? are you talking about?
0: Twitter is bad.
2: Yeah, and then Asian people are like, yo, th- this movie, it could stand on its own. Like, we don't have to compare it, like, and diminish both of the movie. And I'm like, oh, my what God. What does it
0: feel to make a movie like this that is in many ways groundbreaking but is also entering this – cultural moment right now where it seems everyone is always mad about everything before it's even there Uh, you're already experiencing that with this movie because some people are saying oh the portrayal of asians is too anglicized or too heteronormative or they're all too pretty or whatever like and you, you know who's critiquing the hardest or the critique
2: that i get for my acting career asian people huh you playing an immigrant on Silicon valley that makes me look bad blah 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 all this like you play this accented character but I try to play everything very authentically even if it is an accented immigrant uh, Jing Yang that I play on Silicon Valley
0: I try to play it's just a version of
2: myself when I came to this country when I was 13 and I'm trying to represent my immigrants Hmm.
0: you know so well you wrote in the book something um, you basically said like the issue is not the role the issue is the baggage people feel about these accents themselves like why do you feel so bad about the accent and Sofia Vergara is sexy with her accent
2: why am I nerdy and weird? Everyone why likes British
0: accents? accents.
2: Yeah. Why is it when a white actor or even a black actor does a, a a British accent, it's considered art? It's considered oh, he did well. Nobody ever gave Chadwick Boseman anything like oh, you're doing an African accent, you mis- re- misrepresent African people. But you know, you know what it is. What is it? And this movie is hopefully gonna fix part of that. Uh huh. It's there's not enough of us out there. Okay. So everything is being scrutinized. When you one out of five Asian people on TV. All the pressure is on you, and you have to represent who the are the whole other four? Asian spectrum. Who are the other I can't four? name. I don't <laughs> wait,
0: know. Wait, no, okay, let's go to the There well, there's a few.
2: John Cho is always on TV. He is always working. Yeah. yeah. My boy Ken Jong is always in movies, TV. Yeah, he's something. He's he's, he's hilarious yeah. to me. Like, comic, as a comedian, yeah. I always yeah. think funny it's first. Funny.
0: Like, you know, it's. Who else is. Wait, well, okay, the okay. List, though. who else? Who else?
2: Uh, Constance Wu. Oh, yeah. Randall Park. I mean, that whole show, you know, Hard Sessions with a lot of yeah. kids. Yeah. So there are getting more and more now. Okay. But it's still. It's like the problem with Apu, that documentary. Yeah, you know, it's, it's this just is about the Simpson's He character. was the most important. If you're the one, you carry all the weight. Exactly. So the problem is, it's not enough representation. And hopefully, with Crazy Rich Asian, you get a whole spectrum of Asian. And I felt so good doing that movie because I could, I can just be funny and act a fool. Yeah. Because I'm not representing all Asians. I'm just representing one personality.
0: But you know, some people want you to represent all Asians.
2: Well, they want to blame me for something, you know, okay. just because... Do you ever ain't.
0: tweet back? Do you ever write back? I, just... I,
2: I made the mistake of engaging <laughs> about a week ago. <laughs> what
0: did you do? And
2: it was horrible. It was like one of the worst experiences I've ever happened? had on Twitter. Just everybody jumped on my case, you know, like saying this and that, calling me a sellout, calling me um whatever, Uncle Chan or something. Oh, Lord. But like, you know, usually whatever I read, it's very positive.
0: Okay.
2: Um, I had this girl come up to me after this book signing. It's like... We're very proud of you. You know, your success feel like our success. Okay. And I felt great about that. And then yeah. I have people like, you know, tweeting me great things or uh Instagram message. This kid, he's like, I'm 15. I just came from China. I don't speak English very well and like your book is the first book I've read in English without anybody's help. Really? And that's really inspiring and I hope you keep doing that. So by and large it's great and I love all my Asian fans and they're awesome but it's this small population of the haters that it's like conspiracy theorists almost really cause then like you know when they tweet you something nasty you go on their profile to see who they are right it's never their real picture
0: never, it's always some never, never their real picture
2: yeah They one one guy tweeted me uh-huh. they said cause in a Huffington Post article I'm like I'm sorry I'm not the good looking Chow Yun fat Asian hmm. you know but character actors need roles too
0: but also, you know I mean? don't sell yourself short. Don't say that you're not good looking.
2: Right, right. But I'm I'm, I'm not good looking in the movie sense. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not like 6'2 and super good looking. You're going to tell me I can't act. Right? <laughs> like, I shouldn't be representing you because I ain't this, this, this. Right? Uh-huh. So then people tweeting me, they're like, Hollywood chose you because they know you ain't good looking. And they want to represent Asian people with your ugly face. Oh, my God. <laughs> because... And then, and then at the end, they're like, because everybody casting you is white. Da da da. How blah, do blah, they blah.
0: know who's casting? And, you. I know.
2: And then they said, <laughs> at the end of that tweet, they said, "F white supremacy." And I'm like, I'm not saying I don't exist out
0: there, but how is that? How does that per You getting your check? They, they, what is supremacist about you getting your check? They, they
2: talking about white supremacist conspiracy putting me on TV <laughs> to misrepresent Asian people on purpose. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> No Ku Klux Klan member anointed me to be the ugly Asian person on TV. Okay? You could go do it yourself. God, this makes me
0: so angry. I didn't mean to make you so angry. I feel like I riled you up. Yeah, I know. It's just. I hear you. I hear you, though. Come on, man. Let's talk about the book. Yes. The book has the most wonderful title How to American, an immigrant's guide to disappointing your parents. In 30 seconds, tell folks what this book is going to give them.
2: It's going to give you hope. <laughs> no, it's I, I hope to give people a little inspiration of this outsider, you know, making it in America, assimilating first day as an immigrant and assimilating, you know, in a in a job that his parents doesn't believe in. At all. At all. Think my dad has been telling me since day one, I was born. Being an artist is how you become homeless. Yeah. Pursuing your dreams is how you become homeless. I
0: love even – like even after you've succeeded, he says – this is like the last page of your book. He says, quote, having you as my son is like winning the lottery, not the Mega Millions jackpot, but like a small $20 prize. Your dad sounds hilarious.
2: That statement sums up exactly who he is, right? Okay. Like he, he, he busts my chops all the time. Okay. He's the joker of the family, but it's funny. Yeah. It's Fine. so like and I, I feel like he loves you from what I read in the book absolutely it's a complicated relationship we love each other but sometimes I wish he's more like that dad or that mom that's just like I'm so proud of you I love you but that's that's not that culturally him. yeah that's not it and that's not him
0: <laughs> but deep down I know he loves me yeah and yeah. so the book deals a lot with your relationship with him and with your mother but it's it's focused really on what it's like for you to come to America at 13 so you one you come from Hong Kong Which is China, but not quite. Mm -hmm. And you're already kind of an outsider there because you speak a different dialect from other folks. Right. So you come to the U.S. at 13 to L.A., which is totally different. Uh. And you were already marginalized back home. And now you're like extra, extra standing out. Like describe those first few days. Like describe that first day at school. It was tough looking back at it. Yeah. But
2: going through it, it was like, wow, this is kind of amazing. But scary
0: at the same time because well, there was even points like you didn't even know what to say when someone said what's up yeah i just looked up in the sky for like five <laughs> seconds i'm like what are you talking about and the girl was
2: like what's up and i looked up i'm like nothing there's nothing up there <laughs> and then she she had to explain to me what's up man how you doing and i was this foreign kid It just got dumped in a new country with a new language with yeah. a new culture i never met no black people white people Latino people. Yeah, I've only hung out with Chinese people back home. Yeah, even the Asian people here weren't Chinese. They were Koreans. <laughs> so I, 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 like I had nowhere to go where I can find like a safety zone. I was forced to assimilate with everyone. Yeah, which in a way is a blessing in disguise. Because Makes it work. If I would have went to like a Chinese heavy high school here in America, I could have just kind of hermited in that in mm-hmm. that sense and never really fully assimilated. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Well, I love how you describe how you figured out the culture and the language, there was one big kind of TV textbook for you, which was BET, Black Entertainment Television. Oh, yeah. That's kind of like how you taught yourself English and American culture. Actually, we have some tape of the time where you, I guess, shut down Arsenio Hall's show. Oh, I did.
2: When I first came here, this is a true story. When I first came here, I barely spoke a word of English, and I learned how to speak English by watching a lot of television. Two months into it, I realized I was watching Telemundo.
1: <laughs> that
2: didn't really help. Like, what is Corazon? And there's like 12 of them? What is that? So eventually, eventually I switched a channel and you can still hear my voice today. I learned most of my English by watching BET Rap City. Yeah. Big Take in Basement, Freestyle Friday. There's nothing more American than Snoop Dogg, you know? know any better. I just thought that's how everybody talked. So I went up to the lunch lady the next day. I'm like, hey, what it do, shawty? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Talk about all of that, because I find it so fascinating.
2: I think watching TV is one of the most important cultural lessons anyone can learn, Mm. because it's not the TV program and tells you what Americans like. Yeah. And also the commercials tells you what they're really buying into, right? Mm. Like, even the tone of the commercials mm-hmm. is different. Here, it's funnier, yeah. whereas in Hong Kong, it's made more heartfelt, more family-oriented, uh-huh. right? Instead of usually the dumb, bumbling husband and the <laughs> wife yelling at him. Yeah. Like here or like,
0: in I'm a man, and I don't know how to change a diaper. Whoa! Yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I hate those.
2: Yeah. So that really tells you about the culture. And one of the most interesting channels I found when I split the 2 channels was BET. I never seen anything like that. It was like
0: not just America. It's no, I've sp- never seen anything like BET either. It was is a one of a kind. Very
2: specific part of America, and it was so intriguing to me as a thirteen year old
0: boy. First of all, you got Rap City. Oh yeah, right with Big Tig in the basement.
2: Oh yeah, and that was amazing. For, see, I never heard hip hop music.
0: I was on BET before that, even when they were still doing Video Soul.
2: Oh, my God. Remember Video Soul? No, that's a too before young that. my time. This was like
0: when they're doing like straight-up, just straight-ahead R&B, and then they moved more into rap mm-hmm. with Rhapsody and Ticket 106 uh, and 106 Park. 106 Park was the gym. Anyways, you watch BT. You're watching rap videos. Yeah. Rap teaches you English, basically.
2: Rap teaches me English because, to me, I could not understand a word of that. Like, in, in school, in conversation, or even when I'm watching the Nickelodeon cartoon, I can understand some of it. Hmm. But the way rappers are speaking, I'm like, if I could understand this— this is like calculus to me. Oh. If I could figure this out, oh. I can understand algebra. I can understand everything <laughs> else. So okay. to me, like BET was like calculus. I needed to figure it out. And uh. I needed to understand what they're talking about culturally uh. to understand America. Uh. And not just Rap City. Comic View was another oh, show.
0: This is, so for those who don't know, it was um, BET's probably what, their version of Deaf Comedy Jam. Absolutely. Stand-up comics. Are just five minutes.
2: Who was uh, your different? favorite one? Oh, I love all the hosts. Jay Anthony Brown, Bruce
0: Bruce. Bruce Bruce was amazing. Ricky Smiley. See, I was all- Ricky Smiley, oh my god, he's the best. Yeah. His radio stuff is amazing too. Yeah, His now now show. he's killing it yeah. on the radio. Dude, I used to love Samore.
2: Yes. <laughs> he was so good. Yes. So yeah. between
0: black comedy yeah. and black rap and hip hop, you acculturate yourself to America. Yeah. Why, were people at your schools loving you giving off that black swag?
2: I think I just thought I was weird. Okay, you know, but it, it's better to be like the weird kid than a foreign kid to some like huh. to be like Explain. the weird hip hop kid. Okay, than the weird foreign kid. Because I I went so hard in that hip hop direction to try to cover up that my, the fact that I'm huh. an immigrant and I have kind of like a Chinese accent. I covered it up with a hip hop accent yeah. in a way. So now they just looked at me like, oh, okay, yeah, good for him. He just he just loves you know B T instead <laughs> of like
0: huh. He's a weird foreign kid. All right, time for a quick break. When we come back, Jimmy struggles through college and finds stand-up comedy.
1: BRB. Support for It's Been a Minute and the following message come from Wonder Capital, the leading solar investment platform. With Wunder's help, individuals have financed more than 150 large-scale solar projects across the U.S., creating enough electricity to power the equivalent of 4,000 homes, which offsets millions of pounds of CO2 emissions each year. To find out how you can begin investing in solar energy projects while earning up to 7.5% annually, visit wondercapital.com minute. Planet Money tip number 17. Sometimes the most important things need a hype squad. Corporate. 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 Income. Income. Tax. Corporate income tax! Planet Money, a podcast about the economy. A very enthusiastic podcast about the economy.
0: So you love rap so much. You love hip-hop so much. You love BET so much. You end up talking about in the book how you and the friends you made in high school Beverly Hills High School. Yeah, my dad used a fake address. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. You got to hustle. Yeah. But at Beverly Hills High School, you and some other immigrant friends form a rap group, and then you become like a hip-hop rap producer. Like, you make beats. Yeah, that was You're my first, I guess,
2: creative outlet. I've always loved, like, just building stuff, like, mm-hmm. like making stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and this was the first thing that I found really, really rewarding was making something out of nothing. Had you had musical experience? I played the violin, of course, uh, since I was like five. (laughs) You know, I was in the school orchestra and everything. Okay. So I kind of know some music. But really, when it comes to making a beat, especially when I was doing it, uh, when I had Fruity Loops.
0: Yeah, I remember Fruity Loops, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It was just messing on the computer.
0: How do I find your beats online? Are they online? They used to be. I don't think they are anymore. They're all the way gone. What would I search for?
2: I, I'll post something. You can't. You, you really can't search for anything. I'll post something. On you website. should
0: send us something, and then we can wrap the interview with, with, with like one of your beats.
2: Yes. Yes. Seriously. I have some pretty cool beats. I got pretty good at it. I was selling beats or something. You know, everyone says that. No, my for, beats are great. <laughs> I I got to a point where I got my first paycheck from what? Uh, <laughs> you
0: read it. In the book. I sure did, but I want you to say it. It was a from a porno website. <laughs> Porno website, As bought one of your rap beats when you were a high school student at Beverly Hills High. Oh, boy. Only in America. I thought I made it. I made like How
2: 300 bucks, <laughs> man. You know, that was big.
0: <laughs> so that's high school. High school finishes. And then your dad is like, bro, you got to go to college. Oh, that's not a choice. There's never yeah. a conversation
2: of like, <laughs> you need to go to college. It's just, oh, what's after high school? Yeah, college. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Like which college are you going to go to? That's the conversation. So I was I I didn't know any better. I didn't get into UCLA or USC. Their loss. Yeah, their loss. And then I I end up just got I got accepted to UCSD. I'm like that's basically UCLA but in a beautiful beach town <laughs> in San Diego. actually totally different. Yeah, I didn't even go visit. I'm like this is close <laughs> enough. I'll just go there. And wow. it turned out to be
0: the worst college experience for the five next 5 years. What about our listeners that are that are Alumni of UCSD and love their time there. I just look, maybe it's not UCSD.
2: I shouldn't be that biased. Oh. I just hated school. I, okay. I should have dropped out. If I wasn't Asian, I would have dropped out. But then you end up majoring in what? Econ? Econ. Because, because... that's the easiest major that still pleases your Asian parents. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'll just get this econ degree done and I'll say I've done it, and I'll figure my life out.
0: And and you, like, just did it. Was it,
2: like, a 2.7 GPA? 2.7 GPA. I never went to class. I was depressed. And still got a 2.7. I was smoking weed. And I would just show up at the final. I'll cram like a week before. i never learn anything because you just cram, you forget about it. Yeah. And I cram and I go take the test. I get a C and I pass the
0: class. Even through that though, your dad gets you an internship doing what? Like some financial advising stuff. Yeah,
2: Smith Barney, like a really nice. That was for real. High end. Yeah, firm. It's like every Asian parent's dream. Like people, other kids are like hoping they'll get this internship. Mm -hmm. But a month in, I just hated the Smith Barney job. Like I just, I was like, I I was having a panic attack. I'm like, I'm going to be sitting behind this desk for the next 40 years, yeah, managing other people's mutual fund that I don't care about, uh-huh. I can't do this. Like, yeah. that was a panic attack. Th- that was scarier to me than trying to pursue the arts going into the unknown. Really? Because getting stuck, mm. seeing my life rotting away for sure, uh-huh. is
0: scarier than the unknown. Huh. So for me, it wasn't even a choice. So then how'd you go from there to comedy to acting? I just had to try different things to get
2: out of this job. what, it wasn't so what was the com- first
0: thing you did after the job?
2: It wasn't comedy. Comedy was never like, I mean, I watched comedy and I loved it, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like, oh, I watched Eddie Murphy Raw with my brother when I was a kid. I needed to be a stand-up. It, wasn't, it was never that. It was just I needed to find something to do in my life. I needed to find a new creed of friends. Yeah. And I was pretty good at talking to people. I was kind of always the funny kid in the group. But everybody says that, right? Yeah. And how many people actually make it as a Everybody
0: stand-up. says that they're funny. And everybody says that their beats are good. <laughs> 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 Look, the main pre- I got to hear a beat. I'll I, I I send you something. The, the, main, re-
2: the main prerequisite uh-huh. to be in a stand-up is not talent. It's not being funny. It's desperation. <laughs> you needed to be that desperate to go on the stage to embarrass yourself, yeah. right? I always say Googling local open mics on your computer is one step away from Googling what's the best way to kill myself. <laughs> it's that close. Every stand-up I ever met that got in the stand-up comedy, something happened in their life. They quit being a lawyer and they got a uh-huh. divorce or uh-huh. they got their third DUI. They just got out of jail. <laughs> and now they want to try stand-up. So
0: you join those ranks. Yeah, I you joined those ranks. You started doing open mics. And for, and, and, and for a while, you are actually paying money to be on stage. Yourself at the Haha ha Comedy Club, you get to go on stage anytime you
2: want at the open mic every day, which mm-hmm. is great. But you have to pay five dollars to exche- in exchange for five dollars of stage time. Five minutes of stage time. Oh, five, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah five dollars of stage time. That should be my next book. Five dollars oh, of stage, that stage time. Though. Yeah. So how, how was that? I I, I went to this <laughs> open mic and I just did it and it was fun. It was liberating in a way. But my favorite part was literally my first set was talking about masturbation, just like every other new comic, right? Because you don't know what you just you just try to survive. you just yeah, trying to be funny. Yeah, yeah. But then people give me taglines. Other comics would give me like, yo, you should say this. You should say that. And I really found this like group of misfits. Everybody was so weird in their own way. Mm. And this is like the only world where the weirder you are, the better off you are. So it's like the first time I felt like I really fit in.
0: Well, and this is the interesting thing that I love that you talked about at length in the book. You really draw this distinct comparison between acting and stand-up. Oh, yeah. Stand-up was very egalitarian and diverse and for everybody as long as you're Mm -hmm. funny. And acting, you said, quote, is like the only profession where you can actually physically discriminate.
2: Oh, yeah. It's like they're night and day. You know, when I audition for Crazy Rich Asians, I call my manager. I'm like... This is, like, a very important movie for us. Yeah. I, I know I'm usually the quirky, you know, uh, sidekick guy or whatever. Yeah. But let me just go try to read for the lead role. I don't care. Oh, look at you. Like, this is yeah. a, a really yeah. special for yeah. us. And I'm very confident in my acting ability. I'm uh-huh. like, let me audition for the lead role. Yeah. And my manager's like, look, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but they're looking for a good-looking guy for the lead role. He said that. Yeah. And I totally understood what he no, meant. No,
0: we should have fired your manager. Nah,
2: like, I get it. Like, I'm a fairly decent looking guy in real life but my type is not the good looking chiseled man you feel me like my agent used to always tell me you have a good look and I was like okay cool I have a good look but then I realized having a good look is different than being good looking Uh, like Ryan Gosling is good looking me and Luis Guzman (laughs) have a good look (laughs) You know, like I look like the computer person or like the college kid. (laughs) Luis Guzman looked like you know Poppy. He looks like he looks like the drug dealer sometimes in his
0: movies, right? Yeah. So we have a good. good We rely on
2: uh, on a good look, whereas other people
0: are just good looking. Gotcha. Yeah. I want to talk more about the acting world and how you got there. Yeah. Briefly walk through from you just paying five dollars to get five minutes of stage time to Mm -hmm. do comedy to like landing a role. On an HBO show, like, you kind of struggled in the wilderness for a while. You were doing this comedy stuff. You end up in San Diego again. And then you end up, by virtue of liking one of your fellow comics, you end up DJing at a strip club. Uh Uh-huh. That's true. That is – and you wanted to do that.
2: I think everybody
0: that
1: grew no, no, up watching no, no, too much
2: ludicrous music videos <sighs> want to go work at a or DJ at a strip. That seems so glamorous, like in in our pop culture in a way. Okay. Or especially for a stupid twenty-two year old kid. But the, but it's didn't not. Happen for you. Yeah. It's not. Especially the strip club I worked at. It was really seedy. It was ran by gangsters. I had to work on Christmas. Like it was. It was bad. Huh. And and you know it was a really. Just dark vibe. I was delivering the cash box to the owner's house every night. I could have gotten shot, and um, yeah, it was it was just a bad environment, and uh, that was the reason why I had to really leave San Diego. Well, because one of your comedy friends was like, "You got to get the hell out of there." Yeah, like my mentor Sean Kelly, um, he was like, "Dude, you got to get out. Like, this is not you. You're a good
0: kid. Uh-huh. You know, go out there, go back to L.A. Yeah, and, and go pursue that." And I'm like, "Yo, and you, you right. and I quit. You just decided that you wanted to. Try comedy again or do acting or what? I've been
2: doing comedy. Yes. I, I, I got my chops working at the Comedy Palace uh, uh-huh. at the door and i like get uh-huh. some stage time in San Diego now. Uh-huh. So I'm, I have a good 15 minutes at this point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I'm like, how am I going to make money? All my strip club savings, I'm, I'm putting into rent. I'm renting this guy's yeah. living room from Craigslist, 300 yeah. bucks a month. So I'm like, okay, I need to do some commercials. So, how do you do do that? I don't know. How do you become an actor? (laughs) I have no idea. I don't know. Yeah. So, I I, I asked all my comedian friends who's just been on one commercial or been an extra in the back of a movie. Yeah. And they were telling me all the tips. They're like, go sign up on all the dot coms, on LA Casting, Actors Access, whatever, all the casting websites. Put your headshot up there. Yeah. Put your stand-up reel up there. Okay. You know? So, I did that. And I got a couple interviews. From uh, really small agencies, right? Uh-huh. My first agent's interview, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to make it. You yeah, know? Yeah. That, to me, was like CAA calling me. <laughs> and then I went there. The agency was in an apartment rental office. Runaway. Exactly. But I was so desperate. I was mm-hmm. still trying to impress them. They had me read the Staples commercial. Okay. And I was so bad. They were like, thank you. And never talked to me again. Never talk to you again. I was rejected by apartment rental office acting <laughs> agent. <laughs> that's that's rough. That's oh LA though. My god. I mean the
0: stories of rejection in this town are enough to make you cry.
2: Exactly. And everybody has been to Central Casting the first day off that Greyhound bus. You <laughs> the know? Greyhound bus, man. And um it was just sad. I was just oh my god, I'm like, okay, I guess I will try to grind it out doing stand up and maybe I should just give up at some point yeah. go back to getting a finance job. You but know? then
0: there was one agent. There was
2: one agent, very small agency. In manhattan beach okay and she called me like because she saw my she's the one that said i think you got a good look
0: uh-huh uh-huh
2: and i'm like okay whatever i don't even know what that means i yeah. went and met up with her and she was very honest she was like look i don't know if i can get you work but i think you got a good look i'll submit some of your headshots uh-huh. and if it don't work out you don't get called for any auditions so you we can go our separate ways okay and at that point once again i got nothing to lose yeah so yeah i'm like sure yeah please sign me yeah and then she started sending me out. Like, she she really believed me. I guess I did have a good look, you know, and uh, I auditioned for, like, Modern Family, just, like, two-line parts, and, mm-hmm. like, commercials that I really wanted to audition for. Mm-hmm. But money was running out, and I wasn't booking any of these jobs, and auditioning is, like, a totally different sport than acting. Oh, I'm sure. And now I have to put in whatever money I've left or whatever money I earn from doing stand-up in the acting classes huh. to just kind of know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. Maybe naturally I'm a
0: pretty good actor, yeah. but... It's still. It's a science, in it's yeah. Service. There's a science yeah. to, especially the audition process. Well, there's a language that you did not know. What was the thing that, and they say slate your name. Slate or something. your name. What the Why hell? Why do I just slate? say say your name? Who just are say, you? Just say say your name. What does the slate even mean? They say S- I don't know. I still don't know. <laughs> so they say slate your name, and you don't know what that means. And yeah, basically, that just means I'm Jimmy O Yang, and I'm five six. <laughs> you know. So you do the audition life, and then you end up auditioning for an HBO pilot, which at first was called what? It wasn't called Silicon it was called Valley Deep Tech. Deep Tech. I don't know if this is like top secret, but I wrote in my <laughs> book.
2: If the show was called Deep Tech before it was ever called Silicon Valley. Yeah.
0: And, and um, you do the audition. I do You audition. think nothing of it. It happens. And then you find out once you get the show mm-hmm. that the guy that created the show, Mike Judge, was your commencement speaker. That's my guy. At UCSD. Yep. And he was one of the big inspirations for you that made you want to not do like finance stuff.
2: Absolutely. That's Mike, crazy. Right? Tell the whole story. Mike Judge, the guy that created *Beavis and the butthead king of the hill, of course, Silicon Valley. Yeah. He was my commencement speaker at UCSD. He also went to UCSD. Yeah. And he kind of shared the same experience I did. He huh. didn't really enjoy college too much. Uh-huh. He was a physics major. The dude was really smart. Uh-huh. He ended up programming, like, uh, computer chips on fighter jets or something like that. Huh. But he just hated that whole culture, the corporate culture. Yeah. And that's why he wrote Office Space. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And then he was like, I just need to find a passion. Mm-hmm. So I quit. he quit this job. Okay. And then he came back around when he found animation. He knew he found that thing that ticks. Uh-huh. And, and he knew he found his passion. And he just grinded it out, you huh. know, in a basement or in his garage, making Beavis and Butthead, making his first animatic. Yeah. And as a lost college student at that moment, not knowing what I wanted to do, all I knew was I didn't want to do economics, the yeah. thing that I majored in. Yeah. And this is permission that my parents never gave me, mm. and I'm like, just seeing a living example yes. of a man that I actually know his name from Hollywood, yeah. uh, TV shows and movies, uh-huh. making it, and in the same exact shoe was went to the same exact college. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a far fetched inspirational story. It. it seems like this this could be
0: me. Yeah. Well, you know, you have this line in the book and in that story, you say. <laughs> Part of what Mike Judge was kind of saying was, quote, pursue what you love, not what you should. Absolutely. And that's still what I believe in because to me,
2: it's so scary. Maybe it's fear that led me to it because I'm sure there's a lot of people that settle into a job that they should be doing, right? Which is no shame on that. No shame on that. And some people are cool with that and they're very happy doing it. I wish I was that guy. Okay. Right. Yeah. You know, I'll probably have two kids and be very happy. Probably maybe happier than I am now. Yeah. But for me, it was the fear. Like I was so scared working behind the desk and being stuck behind the desk yeah. that I really could not do it anymore. Yeah. And it's you know that speech that really spoke to me, and boom, five years later, I auditioned for Silicon Valley. And then it happens. And then it happens. It didn't happen right away. Yeah. You know, I the part was a guest star uh, part with three lines or something. Yeah, I and eat they the fish. Me, yeah, and they call me back. That was the second episode is uh-huh. I eat the fish. The third episode was just me saying no and no like three times to <laughs> TJ. Those three episodes I was in the first season, I got paid 900 bucks per episode at SAC minimum scale.
0: So for the whole first season of HBO's Silicon Valley, yeah. you got what, $2,700? $2,
2: $2,700. And I used it as a down payment on a 2006 Prius so I can drive Uber. Stop. I was driving Uber between season one and two of Silicon Valley. You yeah. still have the, do you still have the Prius? Oh, no, I gave it to my brother. Okay, so look at you, good so, sibling. Yeah, so he could drive Uber. What are you driving
0: now? Uh,
2: I, I have a Lexus Elise. Oh,
0: okay, yeah. okay. No, I no, see. it's an
2: entry-level <laughs> IS200. It's very, a four-cylinder car. You know? Okay, okay. It's just a write-off. That's, why, that's,
0: why, that's right. why I have it. One more break here. When we come back, more about Silicon Valley and how Jimmy deals with success. All right, BRB. <laughs>
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. In 1980, with a few thousand dollars and used dairy equipment, Ken Grossman founded Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Ken's award-winning ales propelled him from home brewer to craft brewer. Today, Ken and his family still own 100% of the company. One of the most successful independent craft breweries in America. More at SierraNevada.com. What does it take to start something from nothing? And what does it take to actually build it? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on How I Built This, I speak with founders behind some of the most inspiring companies in the world. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. For our
0: listeners who are not watching Silicon Valley, uh, describe your character for them. So Jing Yang,
2: the character that I play, uh-huh. uh, is a geek, uh, is a computer programmer, uh-huh. just like everybody else on the show. Yeah. And... Um, He's an immigrant also, mm-hmm. but in a way he's kind of brave and I kind of like him because he's, he's one article wrote this term, It's that he's kind of like an anti-assimilation character. Huh? Because for me, for so long in my life being an immigrant, I try to try as hard as I could to be American. Yeah. Jing Yang doesn't care. <laughs> he thinks he's cool the way he is. Yeah. And he's kind of, this, as the season goes on, becomes kind of evil. And it okay. becomes kind of like a pain in the butt for a lot of people. Okay. So it's it's very interesting to play this uh, person mm-hmm. who who you think is a docile, stereotypical immigrant, but he actually has a pretty pretty sharp uh, comeback to, yeah. to a lot
0: of things and, yeah. a, and a and a dark side to yeah. him. There was something you said about playing that role that really stuck out to me, uh, like the 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 kind of mantra for that character. It was it. I don't know anything.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, what, right. <clears throat> so, so he has a... Is that he, the right phrase? Yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know. And, yeah. and and I always say the mantra to myself in Mandarin, it's, Right? Huh. Uh, which means I don't know. Yeah. Because, uh, first of all, I, I have to practice thinking in Mandarin a little more with this character, huh. because I want that accent to be authentic. I want uh-huh. it to sound like one of my uncles or like my mother, uh-huh. you know? And it's a very specific Mandarin accent. It's not just like a cliché Cantonese Bruce Lee accent, yeah. right? So I just wanted to be a real person. So every day I go to the Sony lot to shoot the show. I listen to uh, 1300 AM, the the, the Mandarin yeah, station, yeah. for like an hour. Okay. And then um, I try to just think in Mandarin and I was thinking this mantra, 我不知道,我不知道, 我不知道, I don't know, I don't know. And I think in that because that's the bane of his existence. First of all, it's the Mandarin. Second mm-hmm. of all, It's, I don't know, either he actually doesn't know what's going on, like me, back in the day when I didn't know what what's up meant, Uh or he actually just doesn't care to know,
0: Yeah, you know. And he's probably like, I mean, I'm sure that so much of the immigrant experience when there's a language barrier is just being frustrated that people don't understand you.
2: Exactly. And and what's great about Jing, it's like he kind of doesn't care that he's, like, you know, frustrating other people. And a lot of the jokes, even, like, the I Eat the Fish scene yeah. where TJ's character, which became, like, my nemesis on the show and with yeah. a great dynamic, uh, when he gets mad at me doing certain things— uh-huh. The joke's kind of on him being an impatient, you know, buffoonish big American guy. Yeah. And Jing Yang kind of gets the upper hand throughout the season. Uh-huh. And I kind of love it. Like you don't have to fight fire with fire. He's just very yeah. chill.
0: It's you know? a it's a it, it is a subversive portrayal of an immigrant. Yes. It it it's it, 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 like he knows what the hell's going on. Oh, he on knows what's and going he's on gonna exactly.
2: Win. And yeah. especially this season as okay. you guys see, he uh yeah, he he he
0: gets kind of evil too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you expect the show to be as big of a hit as it is? Did you uh, uh, not how's at, it been? Not at all when I first auditioned
2: for it? Mm-hmm. You know I knew Mike judge is like serious business, but I don't there's just so many TV programs out there. like so many shows, like everybody's like almost a serious regular on the show now, mm-hmm. but there's so many shows that people just don't watch. yeah, and I'm so fortunate that this is a show that gets attention from the award circuit, and people are actually watching yeah. and this is my first show. how amazing is that like I count my blessings every day yeah and it's it's been incredible and it happened really fast yeah but also it happened when I'm a little older it didn't happen when I was like 20 yeah so I was a little I I like I, I know what's going on I didn't let it get to my head yeah and my issue was not knowing what to do with myself like what do you mean? Like I still have pretty low self esteem. I uh-huh. still try to go to uh, Ross instead of like Nordstrom. Ain't nothing wrong with Ross, you know. Like I, and, and listen, and and a Nordstrom Rack will
0: top a Nordstrom any
2: GD day. I have never bought anything in Nordstrom except for those pair of pants I bought for the Arsenal
0: Hall show. Uh, I, I got lunch I one day at the Nordstrom restaurant, but that's it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There but you go. Nordstrom Rack is the jam. Ross is the jam. You can yeah. hold on to that. Why would you go to Nordstrom when there's Nordstrom Rack? Literally. So so like, you still are trying to convince yourself that you're worth it.
2: Yeah, and this year has been gotten better, like, because I'm doing more other stuff that's not just... Because this is one thing that I started off as such a small part. I still, in a sense, think that I'm that guest star side actor, you know, whenever um, I I, I see myself there. But then, you know, I wrote the book, you know, I'm in a couple of movies. So that kind of, as an artist, my self-esteem is rising a little bit, Yeah. you know, and it's starting to match... Like who I am, which is great. And you
0: know, so I know that there are a lot of people listening who probably feel or have felt the same way. A little bit of imposter syndrome. Exactly. Give folks some advice on getting through that. Well, first of all, it's good to have imposter syndrome. Okay. It's fine. It keeps you
2: humble. Okay. And it keeps you that 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 wonderment, that awe that we talk about. Yeah. Like like earlier when I first came to America. Like every time I go to like a Emmys after party yeah i see brian cranston they are like whoever like uh uh uh, john snow kid harrington yeah i'm still fanboying on the inside and that feels good yeah that feels great you don't want that to go away yeah you know and the best feeling was like for example ken jong i've been a fan of ken jong oh yeah and i want to visit his show dr ken um Mm -hmm. which is now unfortunately canceled and he fanboyed over me more than i fanboyed over i was like freaking out inside and then he was like Tran, he grabbed his wife, Tran. He was like, Tran, come on. Come over. It's Jimmy. We got to take a picture with Jimmy. Uh And that is the coolest feeling ever. You don't ever want that to go away. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of good to live in that imposter syndrome and to approach this as an outsider instead of, you know, saying, I'm Hollywood. I deserve this. I'm going to say, like, you know, it's good to know that maybe artistically, maybe in your craft, Mm -hmm. you're as good as some of these people. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're here and be confident with your craft. Mm -hmm. But keep that sense of wonderment.
0: I like that. I'm sure that what must also help you kind of get to a place of satisfaction is like knowing that your dad is a bit more supportive of you now. So so much, Slightly. So that, yeah, you even, so supportive that you even got him in a movie? Yeah. Tell that story. My dad started acting. I don't know if it's out of support. <laughs> it's a little bit out of spite. He was like,
2: oh, it's so easy. You can do it. I can probably do it. Because <laughs> I'm sure, just like everyone else, deep down, there's a part of them that always want to be an actor. Yeah. But, you know. Just like how he taught me. He didn't think it was possible.
0: Well, also because like, in Hong Kong, in China... You can't just get up and be an actor. It's different acting. There is no such thing as stand-up there, really. Exactly. So he he couldn't conceptualize what you were doing for a while.
2: Right. He still calls stand-up a talk show. (laughs) <laughs> Cause that's not really a thing back in the day, in China. Yeah. So he was like, "It's so easy, you can do it. I can do it." I'm like, "Okay, you know what? This is a perfect time for me to show you how hard acting is. Okay. How hard the audition process. Is. Okay. So, like, so, so I call my agent. I'm like, "Do you need an old Asian person on your roster?"
0: Wait, that wait, stop right there. One, that is unbelievable to me. You just got an agent and be like, "Give my dad some work." Well, it's still that smaller agent, right? Yeah. So I'm
2: like, my dad has a good look.
0: <laughs> so that
2: you know, can you sign him? So did up you just to, say that your dad's not good looking? Hey, I, I didn't say that. I just said he had a good look. Okay, so um, <laughs> I'm like, do you maybe send him out on some commercial just so to teach him a lesson? Yeah. To see how hard this is. And then yeah. she was like, yeah, you know what? Actually, I could use an Asian dude on my roster, old Asian dude, because okay. there's only like two old Asian people in Hollywood, right? Yeah. So my dad could have been like one of the preeminent old Asian dudes. <laughs> and then. The plan completely backfired because he started booking everything. He booked his first four out of his six auditions, which is unheard of. He ended up in the show that was popular back in China? Yeah, he ended a show called uh Big Daddy. That like is like one of the most popular shows in China. Oh my goodness. When he shot it, we didn't think much of it because we're like, we never heard of the show, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And it's like a billion people watching in China. <laughs> my aunt called our house here in, in America in, in LA, and she was like, Richard, you're so good in the show. Your son must have taken after you. Did you teach him how to act? I'm like, man (laughs) come on man
0: so he was like oh it is easy (laughs) there's nothing special
2: about what you did yeah
0: (laughs) so you and your dad were actually in a movie together patriots day which is about
2: which is about the 2013 boston marathon bombing and the tragedy and the heroes and the victims of it like it's really a heavy movie and it's my first dramatic role
0: and you play a really
2: pivotal role in the movie i play this guy Dun Meng, who's also a chinese immigrant And uh, he kind of saved the day. He's the unsung hero of that marathon bombing because he got carjacked and kidnapped by the Tsarnaev terrorist brothers. Yeah. And he made a brave heroic escape at gunpoint. He just jumped out of the car. Ran out to a (sighs) gas station. And that's, call the police. That and that's how they let the police to tracking down that car and tracking down the two terrorists. Yeah. And uh, I was so proud to play that role. I bet. And the whole time, Pete Berg, the director, and Mark Wahlberg, the star and the producer, was like, we got to get this right. This movie's not about us. It's about the heroes and the victims. Yeah. And we got to get everything authentic and right. Yeah. So I get to hang out with Danny uh, Dunming. Mm-hmm. Uh, every day I was in Boston. The real life, thing. yeah. And yeah. I was bugging him about what happened. He was so yeah. nice, and he's one of the kindest people ever. Yeah. So I was just want to get it right. And then there's a scene with him uh, Skyping with his dad back home in China mm-hmm. or his parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, the dad there casted had a Cantonese accent when he spoke Mandarin
0: uh now which is a no-no
2: right like to american audience or to most audience they wouldn't know what's going on but to me if i'm gonna keep it authentic yeah i want to make it my job to keep it Gotta keep it 100 and what i know right so i went up to pete i'm like this guy speaks you know mandarin in a accent. it's just not right yeah and the mom speaks in a different you know accent because she speaks proper mandarin yeah and then he was like okay good let's get you a new dad i'm glad you said something huh and I'm like, Pete, I was sitting. That in- poor guy. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, so then I, I sat in at the casting sessions. Uh-huh. I, I, I offer Pete to sit in. I'm like, I'll sit in your casting sessions, yeah. and I'll make sure, you know, the person is authentic. Yeah. And then I had this light bulb moment. I'm like, you know what? Why don't you guys just cast my dad? Huh. He's, a, he's an actor. Yeah. He's yeah. a real actor. He's a union.
0: Yeah. And he
2: speaks Mandarin very authentically. And then Pete was like, done. Get him
0: out here. And I got my dad his first union SAG job. That is some full circle. So you go from having a father that is mad that you don't become like a doctor, an engineer, or a finance Uh guy, mad you're doing stand-up, mad you're trying to act, and then he is in a movie with you. Because I hooked him up. You
2: got to hook it up. Yeah. That's amazing. And that was one of the best experiences um, to kind of be behind the cameras when when. When my dad is acting. Yeah. And knowing that, like, you know, at that moment, I think he was pretty proud. Oh, I'm sure he was. And at the Patriots Day premiere. Oh, know, I bet. He was proud. He's still telling everybody, like, uh, yeah, 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 my son's in Patriots Day. But did you know I? <laughs> I was in Patriots Day also. <laughs> you know, so he's still, he's still kind of bragging. But, like, you know what? I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy that he's happy about
0: yeah. it. You know? Yeah. So, okay, you're 30 years old. Mm-hmm. You are doing comedy on Arsenio Hall, you're in major motion pictures, you're on a hit HBO show, you got your dad in the biz. I'm sure someone at your age who has accomplished this much could say, all right, I'm good. Whatever else happens, I'm good. Right, but I'm guessing you have some other challenges lined up for yourself, some other goals to accomplish. Absolutely. I what think, is next for you? What else do you want to do?
2: I think this is the fun part where people are finally paying attention to who I am, yeah, and and my projects that I want to do. Yeah. So I want to do more writing, okay, uh, screenwriting, okay. and I want to turn this book into like a TV show or a movie or ah. something, and uh, just kind of take it to the next level, man, and start creating what I want, right? Because I think at the end they like artists become who they are because, you know. We love creating stuff. Yeah. You know, even like building Legos feel great to yeah. me. Yeah. So like this is where it gets fun. It's not like, oh, I did my job. I can go to Hawaii and chill
0: out now. Yeah. You know, now it's, you it's not it.
2: like this is this is where it gets exciting. This is the fun part.
0: Okay. So that means you're going to make a rap album too.
2: Yes. I'm, I'm making a rap song with Too Short right now. Rap some of your lyrics. No, no. I didn't rap. I just made the beat.
0: Oh, my goodness. Is it it's on spread.
2: YouTube? Not yet. It's going to come out soon. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: I'm ready for it's it.
2: It's Too Short. Dumbfounded, which is like one of the most legit Asian rappers. Okay. And uh, Aquafina, my homie. Aquafina. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's going to be a really sick song. I love it. I'm not going to ask you to accompany me right now to El Pollo Loco. Ah. But uh, one day. Yes, we one should exchange in for you. You're so great. Thanks, Warren. man. Yeah. Well, I'm in LA. We, we, seriously, we'll go to El Pollo Loco Let's do it. Let's any do it. friggin' time. Yeah. Jimmy O. Yang, his book is called How to American. An Immigrant's Guide to Disappointing Your Parents. Jimmy is also on tour right now doing stand-up. You can go to jimmycomedy.com for dates all up and down the West Coast. You might even see me in the audience. Okay, reminder, if you want to talk to me for our long-distance segment and our Friday shows, hit me up. Email samsanders at npr.org. And let me know if there's a thing that's happening where you live that you find interesting. Anything. samsanders at npr.org. Okay, we're back with our weekly wrap on Friday. Until then, thanks for listening. Talk soon.